Welcome to the Hutchmoot Podcast, the library of sessions recorded at the Rabbit Room's annual conference, which celebrates art, music, story, and faith in all their many intersections. Today, we're excited to share a session led by Andrew Peterson and Tim Mackey of The Bible Project called The Trees at the Heart of Creation from 2021's Hutchmoot Homebound. In this session, Andrew and Tim discuss the prominence of trees in biblical narratives and how they help us unlock scripture in fresh new ways. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. My name is Andrew Peterson. Um, I'm so glad to be once again at Hutchmoot Homebound. Um, I, uh, I hope you guys are having a great weekend. Uh, I am super pumped because I just flew to Portland, Oregon, uh, and I am at the headquarters of the Bible Project. I am geeking out just a little bit because I'm such a huge fan of what you guys do. <laughs> and I have to tell you this story. My daughter, um, who's 18, she's starting college in uh, Bible college in Louisville this fall, <laughs> but she was at Capron Ray, which is this uh, like oh, yeah. intense gap yes. year thing in yes. England. Yeah. So she was there like like six hours of lectures a day, just diving in, doing all this hardcore scripture stuff. And they use Bible Project resources, oh, wow. which is pretty okay. cool. Yeah, that and is so, cool. Uh, huh. so she came home. She's home kind of in, on the summer right now. And yesterday she was like, where are you going tomorrow? And I said, I was like, oh, I'm going to Portland. I'm in with um, Tim Mackey, the, the Bible Project guy. And her jaw just dropped. It was like I told her that I was going to meet like Taylor Swift or something. <laughs> so she was so nerded out because in that world, like those videos have been sure. so helpful. Yeah, so sure. I, right. I really, really love what you guys are doing. Uh, and uh, I know that's not news to you, but I just, I'm a Bible college grad. Hmm. I got a Bible degree when I was 18 or 19 years yeah. old. Well, not, that's when I started. Yeah. And um, grew up in the church. Hmm. Hmm. Dad was a pastor. I was in the deep south. Hmm. Um, so a lot of nominal Christianity hmm. and I think I would have told you I was a Christian, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't yeah, believe sure. that he loved me. Hmm. It was just beyond my imagination because I didn't, couldn't stand myself. Hmm. And so, uh, when I was 18 or 19, I, I was in a rock band, didn't go to college, ended up hmm. encountering Jesus through the music of a guy named Rich Mullins. Hmm. Oh, and, yes. Yes. and he was the one who like helped wow. me see huh. God is loving. And, and he had a high love scripture. His songs yes. are very, yes. I was like, I recognize those Bible verses, but I hear them differently now, you know? Hmm. And so I ended up going to Bible college, kind of hmm. reawakened my love for scripture. Well, not reawakened, made me love scripture probably for the first time really, hmm. because hmm. I, I think I just missed it for so much of my youth. Hmm. And kind of that's, that was 25 years ago. And, and the way that I think of my life is that I remember asking God hmm. back then um, if if there's a way that I could write a song that would make somebody feel the way that this Rich Mullins song made me mm. feel, or if I could write a story. Later, it was that way with the C.S. Lewis with the Narnia books. I was like, <laughs> if a story that I could write could help somebody understand hmm. a little, get a little glimpse of how big God's love is, hmm. how real it all is, then that's what I want to do. Hmm. And um, and so I basically my calling as best as I understand is to try to proclaim the deeds of the Lord to Hmm. the nations. Like Hmm. I want people to know this story. Hmm. And so, um, Hmm. so Hmm. I tell you all that, Hmm. that over the course of 25 years, the Bible kind of like, um, you know, you go through waves of this is the most interesting thing I've ever read. And (laughs) 
you know, I need yes. something new. Like, yeah, I, totally. I'm so, I feel like I've read the same thing. Yeah. And so you guys come along and just re- reawakened it again. So thank wow. you. That's a long preamble to introduce Tim Mackey. So thanks for being a part <laughs> yeah. of it. So yeah, I'm curious, totally. like, really quick before we get into the specific conversation, is there like a, you know, short version of how the heck this, how did you end up doing what you're doing? Um, well, it's hard to make it short because it's been so meandering and, uh, but, but it all feels like poetry when certain mm. moments happen, you know? So, um, uh, I, I, our, my family grew up attending church, um, also, but I, my parents also gave me, uh, my first skateboard when I was 11, along with a subscription to Thrasher magazine. Oh my goodness. Which it's a kind of a main. Oh yeah. And Transworld skateboarding. And, and Transworld, but Thrasher is more like punk yeah. rock. Um, yeah. And my parents had no idea what they were putting in my hands. And so that kind of set the trajectory of my view of reality and what it means to be a human is like skateboard subculture. And so um, I wanted nothing to do with their Jesus thing uh-huh. after that point. So it was an outreach ministry of skateboarders that built a skate park in the back lot of a church in Portland. That was kind of my reintroduction. I mean, I had some very basic categories mm-hmm. for God and Jesus, but the Jesus I encountered through these peers at, at a skateboard park was very real mm-hmm. and not at all like what I thought. And the guy who started that ministry and still runs today was just a scripture nerd. Like, huh. he was a good skateboarder and he just loved Jesus and he loved the Bible. And so he was the f- a first influence of, oh, you follow Jesus? It means you just read and think about the Bible a lot because it's just what you do. <laughs> um, and so I was a young, you know, I was like 20. I'm yeah. like, I guess this is what it is. So I just kind of, I ended up going across the street to a Bible college and met some professors that just... <clears throat> blew my imagination about the Bible, Hebrew, Jewish culture, history, language, the whole thing. I was just, took it all in. And I've never emerged from that cave. I've just found it a glorious world of uh, literature and all and culture and language and art. It's just become for me the passion of my life. So, uh, I met John Collins, who mm-hmm. we, he and I co-founded the Bible Project uh, at, through that skateboard ministry. Oh wow! And um, so we went on. I went to school for too long. He uh-huh. like developed employable skills <laughs> in like uh, video, videography uh-huh. and editing, and he um, had started in a business making explainer videos, animated explainer videos. And so he approached me when I finished all my too long school and moved back to Portland to be a pastor and a professor. And he approached me with the idea of this project. Huh. And so this was this is now seven years later. Seven years. After he pitched that idea to me. Wow. So <laughs> it's, it's been quite a, quite a journey. It's amazing. Yeah. So that, that's it. that leads me to, oh, say, quick side note. Um, I grew up skateboarding too. Oh, you did? Okay. I think we would be best friends. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I, I love this story, but I lived near Gainesville, Florida. Oh, okay. And so there was no, you know, it wasn't like out in the West. Sure. I, was, I was so jealous when I would look at Thrasher. Yeah, everything people, was in California. Culverts and yes. whatever. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes my dad would make hospital visits in Gainesville, the nearest town, hmm. because he was a pastor. And hmm. on the way, he would drop me off at the local skate shop, which was across the street from a comic shop. So I would, 
you know, hang out. Yeah. And every now and then we would be driving through Gainesville and we'd see a crowd of people in a parking lot. And in the center of that crowd would be Rodney Mullen. Doing his thing. Doing his thing. No And we would joke. pull over. I'd be like, Dad, pull over. Yeah. And I was standing there and he would be just spinning in the middle yeah. of that. For those of you guys who don't know, Rodney Mullen basically invented skateboarding as we know it today. <laughs> he's, he's like the Van Gogh. Yeah, skateboard. no, he yeah. was a, he's literally a mad genius yeah. pioneer type. Yeah. Like he was also a math And nerd. he was like the nerd because yeah. yes. everything was ska- overt Tony Hawk stuff. Yes, that's and right. And now everything's kickflips and yeah. street tricks. And yeah. yeah, and he was literally had a square of pavement in his back, mm-hmm. and he thought, how many times can I make my board do these geometric yep. flips? And, so cool, uh, right? Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, there you go. That's nice. So thanks for tuning in. We're really glad that you guys were a part of this video. <laughs> Our um, short history of skateboarding. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, so, okay, so I will say that the the quick story of why I wanted to talk to you today yes. is trees. So yep. Yes. Um, I will, just to get into it for the, you guys at home, so I have a new book coming out. I think by the time this airs, it'll be in a week or two after that. But it's called The God of the Garden. Um, hmm. Thoughts on, I forget the subtitle. <laughs> I should know it. Anyway, uh, creation doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Anyway, The God of the Garden. And the genesis of that book was, I, I could not think of what the next memoir was going to be about. Hmm. And I landed on trees because hmm. I've always loved trees. Hmm. And thought, I'm just going to sit down and write down my first memory of a tree, mm. which was mm. a couple of maple trees in rural Illinois. Mm. And, um, and the impression they made on my little boy mind mm. and how much I love to watch them move and the way that they changed color. Mm. And at seven, we moved to Florida where nothing ever changes color. It's always the same dark green um, <laughs> all the time. So, uh, so those trees kind of were imprinted in my mind. Mm, sure. And yeah. I started writing this book and uh, got kind of stuck, didn't really know what the point of it was. And around that time, the Tree of Life video came out, mm. which is this amazing video, which we will probably link to mm. um, in this. And, uh, and then I encountered the podcast series. Huh. Of you and John talking about trees in the Bible. Yeah. And one of the things that you say in this podcast series um, is there is no better candidate for a biblical theme mm-hmm. than trees. Yes. So can you like <laughs> dig into that a little bit and, and yeah. help us see? So before you do, yes. I'll just say that when I heard that podcast, I, I it was like, now I know what my book is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. So for for your podcast and for that, what you were doing, there was no better candidate for a biblical theme yeah for sure. me there was no better candidate for mm. Uh, mm. A, a way to look at my own story and huh. god's presence with me in that story than huh. trees huh. i was like oh it's a great mm. map for mm. where i'm going with this story mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and so i loved that there was this like rhyme almost between yeah sure how yeah. i was looking at my own life and how wow. and what you guys saw was there mm. all along in scripture mm. so mm. How, how did you stumble on this it was this like <laughs> Something that people have always been talking about, and I'm just now discovering it. Or yeah, interesting. Well, um, I, there's probably a couple layers. One is uh, for a long time, just reading the Bible since skate park days. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just I've had this sense that the ways that I was kind of sh- shaped or formed for how to read biblical literature in the church communities I've been a part of. Was, was helpful in some ways, but also unhelpful in others, or just didn't help me see so much of what's there. Mm-hmm. And so a big part of my educational journey has been what for me is, I call it a recovery project of <laughs> trying to read this literature 
the way it was designed to be engaged with and read by the people who wrote it and the people, the communities that first read these texts. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, one of the features of biblical literature, it's a big diverse collection, one's the Hebrew Bible, so we'll start there. Yeah. Um, it's a big diverse collection of ancient scrolls, but it's really been unified editorially, compositionally in all these ways, a lot like a symphony is unified in movements, mm -hmm. lots of different instruments and contributors. But as you sit, depending on how long it is, an hour or two hours, you start to hear repetitions mm -hmm. and motifs or um, classic German composers called them leitmotifs mm -hmm. or lead motifs. Um, and, you know, movie scores are like this, right. where certain characters, you get a couple notes, and it's the Luke's guy in Star Wars. Yeah, it's yeah. the Luke motif or the Darth Vader motif. And so biblical literature is a precursor to all of this style of communication. And so trees, as it turns out, is one of these leap motifs where core events in the plot line that weaves from end to end of the Bible, key scenes um, almost always have trees involved. And it all comes back to the meaning of trees uh, on pages one and two. And then the trees become this vehicle of the plot line of God and humanity. And then God becomes a human uh, yeah. and uh, surrenders his own life upon a tree. Yeah. And uh, to open the way to the tree of life that was lost so that it could be regained. And you've got the first and the last page, and then the trees all the way in between. Yeah. And it just keeps cycling like a symphony. It's the tree motif. And once I learned how to see that, uh, all it just, there were a few candidates that are better than uh, yeah. the tree motif yeah. in the Bible. So that's one way to think about it. Is, and, yeah. uh, so I don't, I'm happy to talk about yeah, no, any of I, those moments or that overall thing. So, but. yeah, I would love for you to dig in a little bit to that. Sure. I just, I, I, as a person who grew up, like doing sword drills and memorizing scripture verses. So <laughs> yeah. I had a similar thing happen to me with, yeah. with N.T. Wright's Surprised by Hope. Oh, sure. Like yeah, I read sure. that book and I was like, how yeah, yeah. did I grow up in the church and miss this? Yeah, right? Yeah, this yeah. new creation hope that we have, mm -hmm. right? And the centrality of the mm -hmm. bodily resurrection, mm -hmm. not just of Jesus, but of ours too. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so to grow up in, a, in an American church situation where it's not like mm -hmm. my dad didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't... It, it didn't get yeah. through. Maybe it was my fault. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, I, sure. but when I stumble on it, I'm like, how did I not see this thing? Yeah, yeah. And I felt that way when I was yeah. uh, uh, listening to you guys talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's one of the things that you suggest doing, you're like when you're reading mm. Genesis to highlight tree words. Is, am I remembering oh, that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Get a green highlighter. Yeah, yeah green. Oh, yeah, get a green. I mean, uh, or a brown know, one. A brown. Just saying. Well, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And high, but it's it's all in there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and tree vocabulary in the Bible um, works a little differently than like modern English, the way we. But we have tree, wood, woods, branches. Mm -hmm. We have all of this vocabulary for parts of a tree and holes of a tree. Um, in the Bible, there's much. Uh, there's fewer words. Mm -hmm. There's really just um, one main word, which is the word its. Hebrew, but it can be used to refer to a mature tree, a little tree, or even a bush. Mm. But also, once you separate a part of a tree from a living tree, and we would call it a branch now, we wouldn't call it a tree anymore. Right, right. Because yeah. tree means living, but yeah. once it's dead, we call it branch or limb. 
Uh, but in Hebrew, it's still eitz. Huh. And so this word eitz is appearing all of these places, but in our English Bibles, they get translated with different English words. Right. And so you miss that continuity. So like Aaron's rod would have been a tree. Oh, interesting. Well, in that case, it's the word rod. Okay. Um, but then... Um, this is where the symphony thing, in the book of Genesis, it introduces you to this really growing vocabulary, like a, it, it grows an encyclopedia hmm. entry of tree imagery in Genesis alone. And by the time you've internalized that and meditated on it, Psalm 1 style, yeah. 50 times or so, um, then as you go on, anytime you see a bush, tree, vine, branch, um, or the core word eights pop up, it yeah. starts to, you know, all your experience with trees, kind of like in your story, it's, it forms you yeah. to expect certain things to happen mm-hmm. or expect that, well, I bet there's going to be a key character at a moment of decision making here, or mm-hmm. there's going to be a test or a failure or a six, uh, somebody having success and surrendering. And so by the time you get to Aaron's rod, in theory, you're supposed to be fully tuned. Yep to tree symbolism. Um, and dude, that story's so, ah, that story's so rad. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which story? The, the, the one about Aaron's rod. Oh, yeah. Because it's uh-huh. a little tree of life there yeah. Um, yeah. that marks uh, God's favor on this, this chosen family yeah. to, to work in the little miniature Eden that is the tabernacle. Oh, man. And so it's, it's yeah. a way of selecting a new Adam. Right. Um, to step up to the plate where the rest of Israel has failed in that story. But it's a replaying of the Garden of Eden story. Right, right. Anyway. And it's not, and, okay, so how is this not, so I could hear, imagine somebody saying that this is frequency illusion. You know, that huh. that, that thing where you like, oh, when sure. you, you, your wife's pregnant and suddenly you notice all these pregnant people everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Or you just buy a, a yeah. new Toyota and now everybody's got the same car. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, there's a part of me that's like, is that what's happening here? Like, am I just, like, going uh, out of my way to see? I see. But then, you know, the fact that it's, I I'm not suggesting that it is. Yeah, I'm no, just I get imagining it. I get it. that somebody listening could be like, yeah, sure. is it really in there? So, that my thing is, like, mm. that mm. one of the questions I had was, mm. when you, did you arrive, d- d- one day were you, you reading the Bible and you were like, mm. oh my goodness, trees. Mm-hmm. <gasps> or did you start noticing this in, like, Slow, much slower Sl- than that. Slowly yeah. in like scholarship. Yeah, uh, some scholarship. You, you know, um, the biggest uh, source of learning for me, um, and this actually won't be surprising once you say it out loud, has been learning to read and listen to Jewish scholars mm-hmm. uh, or Israeli scholars who have grown up reading uh, the Hebrew Bible in their own language. Mm. And um, there's a long tradition. It's actually much longer than even the Christian tradition of Bible interpretation because yeah. it predates it by a fair amount. Um, and uh, yeah, just all the way from the Dead Sea Scrolls community, mm-hmm. um, and they're fascinating, but they were scripture nerds to the nth degree. And, uh, and then the whole long train of, of rabbis and Jewish communities, they're attuned to the way that these texts work and communicate um, in ways that overlap, but also were different from mm-hmm. how the early Christian communities were. But actually, all the early Christian communities were Jewish. They were Messianic Jewish mm-hmm. communities. 
which is why the New Testament reads like a continuation yeah. of, from, from the Hebrew Bible. But trees, um, see, yeah, so I, I hear that all, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could just be that they're just, it, this is an ancient agrarian farming communities, you know, right. ancient Israel, mostly farming and herds, herds people, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and so they're going to talk about trees a lot. That's possible. But when you really start to pay attention to the repetition of tree imagery, mm-hmm. it's not everywhere, but it's at a lot of places and always at key moments that repeat certain ideas. And if you're compelled that scripture works that way, then yeah. it'll just seem perfectly obvious that yeah. that's how it all works. So, for yeah. example, um, so, so in the design of uh, Genesis 1, which is the famous seven-day Mm-hmm. It's the first narrative of the Bible. Um, there are six days of God work, God works, seventh, seventh day, God rests. And God's uh, working in the six days is designed uh, in two parallel triads, days one through three, mm-hmm. days four through six. And if you just are looking at repeated words alone, you'll see days one and four match, days two and five, days three and six mm-hmm. match in terms mm-hmm. of all kinds of things. Days three and six are about um, both climax with trees. So God separates light and dark, day one. He separates the waters from the waters, day two. He calls the dry land to emerge out of the waters. And then the last thing on day three is he calls the trees to come up out of the ground and bear fruit. Mm -hmm. Days four through six, God puts the sky inhabitants up there, sun, moon, and stars. Uh, Day five, it's the sky flyers and the water swarmers and the waters Mm -hmm. above and below. And then on day six, it's the creatures of the dry land, animals, then humans. And then the last thing, climactically, just like on day three, is all of those fruit trees that grow up out of the ground, they are to be uh, food for the humans, and he calls the humans to be fruitful Mm -hmm. and multiply. And so it's this alignment that trees coming up out of the ground and producing food and fruit, and then humans and trees coming up out of the ground and the humans are fruitful and sustained by eating the fruit of the trees. So there's this parallelism that um, the life of trees and the, and the life and the role of humans on the land, it sets it up as yep. being uh, metaphors of each other, yeah. symbols. And so you go right on through the biblical story, and um, trees often play parallel roles to the people in those stories. Hmm. And, uh, and the tree of knowing good and bad is such a great example where um, uh, Eve, whose name is, her name is the Hebrew word life. And so this is so good. I love this. So um, God gives them the tree of life in the middle of a garden. The first humans are gardeners. That's the, the work they're given to do. And he gives them all these trees to eat from. And the one in the center, that's the tree of Eve. I mean, it's her name as the name of a tree, wow, the tree of life. Mm-hmm. And so the one who's called life ends up being deceived. Um, and then they are both, then the man and the woman are there together. And the snake speaks to a woman called life and leads them unto death at the, mm-hmm. at the wrong tree. So the thing that was supposed to bring life ends up being distorted and brings death. And so um, it's both the people and yep. the tree that coincide. And so, man, just think like Abraham mm. parking at all these trees and his story, Moses and the burning tree bush. Yeah. Um, 
There's so many trees. <laughs> Noah, the, I yes, remember you guys yes, talking about yes. Noah and the, the, the ark. Yes, yeah, there's all, so, this, yeah. Well, all this detailed information about the types of trees right. that he makes the, the ark out of. Um, all this focus on trees with the tabernacle mm-hmm. and the gold and the flowers to make it all look, and the cherubim aren't to make there, it look like there Aren't there like pomegranates that? in yes. the beams or something, so it's supposed to evoke? Yes, yes. like a forest. Yeah, that's right. And so all of this is um, creating these environments where the story of the Bible is about God's desire to restore the life and blessing of Eden to his creation through humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every story focuses on a new set of humans who are up to the test. And um, m- more often than not, there'll be a, a moment where they're making dis- key decisions mm-hmm. at another tree. And it's a way of this replaying the Adam and Eve test at the tree. And um, it all leads up, of course, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Yep. Um, which is, we're told, is an olive grove. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he's kneeling and praying about talking about the test. I mean, it's what he tells the disciples. Yeah. Like, this is the test. Pray that you don't fall in the time of the test. And they're in a garden. Yeah. Jesus passes the test on behalf of, a, of humanity that keeps failing their, their garden tree test. Yeah, once again, like, it's just hearing <laughs> you talk about yeah. it, it's like, it's, it's, so cool. it's so obviously there. Yeah, sure. It's just, the, like, I just haven't ever, until I listened to that podcast, I yes. have never yeah, seen it. And yeah. now every time I read my Bible... There's a little ding in my mind whenever I see the name of a tree or something that's going yes. on. It's like it's so yeah. it's doing the thing that you're talking about. Yeah, it's training right. my mind to pay attention to. Yeah, that's right. That as a motif. And we're we're used to epic uh, narratives working this way. Um, so the most famous ones, you know, in the American imagination, mm-hmm. you know, are these legacy ones of Star Wars mm-hmm. or Lord of the Rings from recent memory. But but think of ones that haven't been Hollywood. Yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, just epic, epic narratives. And they need, a, a wise storyteller will unify mm-hmm. this big sprawling thing in some way. Yep. And repeated motifs is historically the way humans have unified their mm-hmm. stories. And biblical literature is the same. It just has yeah. a, a different way of doing it than maybe we, uh, our sensibilities are aesthetically in Western culture. But then in other ways, it feels very native. And mm-hmm. once you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, how, that's how you would tell us a good sure. story. You know? which, which is a great lead-in to mm-hmm. my other question, mm-hmm. which, which, so if all of that is true, all, you know, that God is in some way teaching us to pay attention to these things, to yes. the way Scripture was written. And, um, when I think of, so listening to that, I'm trying to think how to get into this. Listening to your podcast changed the way that I see trees in my neighborhood. Mm. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I, hmm. I began to pay attention not just to hmm. trees in scripture as a literary device, as like a you hmm. know a symbolic thing, hmm. but these are actual touchable, yeah, yeah. like yes. plantable, living things hmm. in our world, hmm. right? Hmm. Um, and so it seems like there's almost like hmm. a few layers of the meaning, you know. So hmm. if, if trees hmm. are imbued with all of this meaning in scripture, and God is God yeah, it seems yeah. to be, yeah saying, hey, pay attention to this, hmm. not just the tree of, uh, in Genesis and the tree in Revelation, but also the cross as a tree, mm-hmm. all of Jesus' mm-hmm. agrarian talk. Then, mm-hmm. then also, um, 
don't forget that like there's not just like a world of the imagination. There's a yeah, world of right. matter that we're moving around yeah, in yeah, yeah. that uh, that that matters, right? Yeah, and yeah. so like the stewardship of creation, yes, the the way we yeah, tend man. to our own garden in a literal way, yeah. it seems to also have implications there. Mm-hmm. That like yeah. we're surrounded by these symbols that mm-hmm. God chose yeah. to teach us something about Himself, yeah. right? Totally. No, yeah, that's a that's a good way of frame, framing it up. But yeah, these. Um, Biblical literature um, n- never existed simply as an imaginative escape mm-hmm. for God's people. Um, it's much more like a set of glasses mm. um, that's through, through the way the story works, and, and we're all meant to see ourselves mirrored in all of these myriad cast of characters in the Bible in their journeys with God, but all of it's forming our imaginations to shape how we experience Experience our lives mm-hmm. and our journey with God, and so um, for sure, these trees are meant to influence how we encounter trees yeah. um, and imagine their roles in our lives. And uh, you know, post-industrial revolution, mm-hmm. uh, we live in a very—if you live in an urban environment, mm-hmm. post-industrial revolution, the way. I, I grew up, you know, not far from where we're recording this, you know, close to downtown Portland. And so every tree I encountered from my earliest memories was all entirely fabricated hmm. and curated. And Portland has a lot of green, green, right. green cover. Yeah. But every one of those trees uh, was planted where it is by design, yep. by city planners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no, you know, there's very few natural trees that right. still exist from when it was all farm fields. And so my encounters with trees um, really only begin to become, ex, you know, trans, uh, I'm not going to say transcendental, <laughs> transcendent <laughs> right. or existential uh-huh. connected to yeah. the presence of God, really once I was formed by the biblical story. Oh, uh, interesting. And then yeah. it was like, that's when I started hiking, mm. really. And mm-hmm. it was like, all of a sudden I'm encountering these trees in yeah. my life with a totally different view of what, who I am and what they are. Right. It's exactly the thing that you're naming. Yeah. And um, it's really, I was, uh, it's really you know amazing to Norman think about. Wurzba? Do you know the name Norman Wurzba? He's at Duke hmm. Divinity, I think. But huh. he's a friends with Wendell Berry. He's this huh. like really brilliant writer on, he's a Christian who writes about kind of like agrarian huh. things. Yes. And, uh, I heard him speak at a conference one time. It's like 500 people in the room. And he was like, raise your hand if your grandparents were farmers. And mm. almost the entire room raised their mm. hand. Raise your hand if your parents were farmers. And most of the room put their hands down. Raise your hand if you were a farmer. And there were like four people. Wow. And then he went on to point out, he was like, next time you read the Bible, pay attention to how yeah. much Jesus uses yes. agrarian metaphors. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Like, and we, ha- we, in this like little sliver of human history, mm. are mostly cut off that's right. From really what he was getting at. Yeah. Because we we haven't like yeah. touched and felt what it means yep, to plant right. a garden yeah. or to pluck a fig yeah. off of a fig tree. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or to live from the fruit of yeah, the tree. To d- actually have depend my actual on. diet yeah. be significantly supplied yep. by a tree. And, and I was so yeah. stunned by that. Yeah. You know, and yeah. kind of like and that coincided with a season in my life where I was feeling going through a kind of depression. Mm. Uh, and mm. around that time, I, I, a friend of mine gave us this gardening plan. Mm. And I, be, I had, you know, kind of toyed with it. I'd started keeping bees and doing some other things like that. Mm. But, uh, but really, 
mm-hmm. like dove headlong into this process of tilling the soil and literally putting my hands in the dirt mm-hmm. and later found out that there are microbes in the soil mm-hmm. that are actually mm-hmm. antidepressant. That like there are things if you get dirt under your fingernails from gardening, it actually has a like mm. physiological effect that helps your mind. Hmm. Uh, so really, it, I've never. That's really before. true. Yeah, that's remarkable. And uh, and huh. and there's also studies that talk huh. about how just being in the presence of trees lowers huh. your heart rate. So huh. there there huh. are ways in which our human our bodies yeah. respond yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. To hmm. trees, to hmm. the gardening process. Hmm. And that's something that most of us aren't familiar with mm. nowadays, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really struck by that. And there was a guy <laughs> named, um, a guy named Arthur Boers, B-O-E-R-S, B-O-E-R-S, who I heard him do a talk about what he called living, uh, I mean, focal practices, <laughs> which he just kind of suggests that <laughs> if you were a person who spends a lot of time in front of a screen, a lot of cerebral work, then have in your life something that, puts you yes. in contact with creation yeah, yeah. that inspires wonder, that requires some discipline for you to know yep. the way people lived at, at least 100 years ago. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and that was kind of, I remember when he was describing focal practices and how uh. much our bodies need uh. these things. Yes. I was like, he just perfectly described why I became so fascinated with beekeeping. Hmm. I was like, it got me away from my computer screen. Mm. There was this wealth of mm. Uh, mm. knowledge that I was just scratching the surface of. I was mm. interacting with other people who were beekeepers. Mm. You know, my community was growing because of it. Mm. And like the thing that really got me mm. was the first day I harvested honey with mm. my bee mentor, this sweet older guy. Mm. He was like, he was like, um, take some of that comb like and this was like honeycomb that was in my front yard hmm. up till that moment wow and he was like put it in your mouth and suck the honey out of it I was like really it was like there were bugs on it an yeah. hour ago <laughs> he was like no do it so I broke it off and I put it in my mouth and I closed my eyes and there was this burst of flavor wow. and while I had my eyes closed he said he quoted the verse I think, in the Psalms that says ah. you know your law of the Lord is sweeter than honey from the comb mm. whatever exactly mm. that verse mm. is at which point I realized the psalmist knows this. Yes, yeah, yeah. The psalmist yeah. who wrote that put honeycomb in his mouth That's and right. sucked the sweetness That's out right. of it and connected mm. the law of God to it mm-hmm. as like mm. metaphorically. And so it was just it there was this immediate like yes, like electric connection to the past, to yeah. scripture, to God, to his wow. law, all because yes. there was this um, practice that I had stumbled into in my mm. life that mm. connected me with his creation. Mm. Which is part of why I think mm. this tree conversation is so important. Yes, yes. Is that that um, mm. there is just something about reading mm. scripture, seeing that in mm. in the mm. most basic sense, it seems like mm. God is saying, "Hey, mm. trees are cool, <laughs> <laughs> aren't they? They, yeah. they teach us a lot, yeah, right? Yeah, I yeah. made them. They're yeah. a reflection of yeah. His imagination. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and even more back to that thing about Genesis one. Um, Trees are one of the main vehicles in the biblical story and in our experience for sustaining human life. Mm. It's one of the ways that God has built into creation this potential for it to self-generate provision Mm-hmm. That keeps us alive, <laughs> and that's Literally, why God. Yeah. Put, and on day six, God says, "Hey, the trees are going to be how you eat. Yeah. Uh, your de- your your life is dependent on them." And um, when it's it's a deep kind of connection that my survival uh, is deeply intertwined with yeah. these trees. That's just a sense of reality that I 
have never, I still don't have. Yeah. Well, actually, okay. I, so I'll, you had a honeycomb experience. Um, uh, I discovered hiking and backpacking mm-hmm. uh, once I started following Jesus. And it, really, the connection was that real mm. of like, I began to discover this immense playground <laughs> <laughs> uh, of wonder and beauty. And um, in the years since, uh, we're about 70 miles from a big, semi-dormant volcano called mm-hmm. Mount Hood. Yep. It's massive, um, uh, 12,000 foot peak. And uh, it's just an incredible place to uh, hike. And so uh, I spend a lot of time up there in the summers. Uh, and uh, the snow melt from that mountain feeds the Bull Run watershed, which um, is the water source for the greater Portland metro area. Oh, wow. And so I remember I went up, I went up hiking there by myself on my uh, birthday. It was like sunny and 70 on November 11th. Get that. It was a very strange, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, warm day. And I just went up there so I could see one of the glaciers, and I was watching it, you know, run off. And it just struck me that this mountain... And these trees, the ecosystem that I'm looking right. at right now has been sustaining my existence in Portland for all of the years I've lived in Portland. Wow. Like this forest, mm-hmm. and it was just all of a sudden it became that real yeah. to me. Like uh, my life is fed by and intertwined with the fate of this mountain and this forest. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm, I'm sure I could have gotten there without the Bible, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know if I would have. Yeah. I, it was literally the biblical story that has helped me see that deep connectedness. And um, so there you go. That was, that was my version yeah. of a honeycomb. What moment. I love about it is that it, is, it functions both as a perfect metaphor and a life-giving yeah. reality yeah, that's at, right. at the same time. There's that's, this like marriage yeah. of the two things. That's you know? a, yeah, that's, to- that's totally um, right. Yeah, that's right. And so in, in a similar way then, the fact that in the book of Acts, um, when the apostles keep retelling the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, it's a noticeable shift in the book of Acts that the cross, there's a Greek word for cross that refers to the execution rack, mm-hmm. stauros, um, but um, more often than not, in the book of Acts, they call it a tree. Mm. They just use the Greek word tree, which is dendron. Um, and uh, it's so right that the focal point of the biblical story is where it's trying to tell us the point where God's life and death and new life intersect with the human story mm. is at a tree. <laughs> um, so we're having these existential moments mm-hmm. with bees and mm-hmm. their bushes and trees and mountains. And then the whole point of this narrative that we hold yeah. in common is that God's life intersects with our world at a tree. Um, so stuff that'll spin, spin your brain and, yeah, and you know, your, your mind and your heart. But uh, yeah. It, it just, yeah. Yeah. So maybe I, I might be talking too much, You're but another great, way to, um, I, that's one thing I, um, I know that, uh, Followers of Jesus, being aware of and caring for environment and forests and the preservation of trees and forests. Um, uh, in, in my years of following Jesus, I kind of, I begin to clue in like, oh, that's controversial for some people or for some people that shouldn't be a thing. And for some people, it's really important that it's a thing. And um, just on a personal level, I've never understood why that shouldn't be a really big thing. <laughs> Men, for followers yes. of Jesus, because you're just like, oh, this is like an indispensable 
part of the story of humans and creation yeah. and God's participation and interaction with us. It's all through these trees. This is mystifying to me too. So, and I, yeah. I honestly think that a lot of that has to do with, like I was saying about the whole new creation mm. theology, this mm-hmm. idea that we were put here to take care of this place, that yes. we are gardeners, yeah, yeah. sowers of seed like God is. Mm. And it was just, that was not the narrative yeah. when I was growing up. Yeah, and my sure. little slice of Christianity mm. in the American South, mm. I just, I remember, I remember people saying, well, it's all going to burn anyway, literally. Mm. And it, mm. yeah, this sense of that we're using this, this place up as fast as possible instead of really cultivating it. And, mm. and the, the, I think what's important about that to me is that it's not, like you're saying, it's not just that like we're supposed to be tree huggers. It's that we actually survive, yeah, yeah. and yes. it's uh, it, it's we're taking care of a, a world that God loves, yes. you know, that yeah. he, he calls good. Yeah. So there, it's a win, 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 kind of all around. Mm. But we're also learning something significant about mm. who God is, like the mm. way His heart works. Mm-hmm. And one, one a similar mm. moment to that mm. was that uh, I started trying to grow grapevines and. Mm. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I grow all this stuff. I don't know what I'm doing. But I, so I will often stand out in the yard with huh. like shears in one hand and my phone in the other to YouTube how to prune grapevines. Mm. You know, mm. and I started pruning them, and I could not believe how violent it was. Mm. I couldn't believe how much you have to hack off mm. of a grapevine mm. in order for that grapevine to bear good fruit. Wow. You know, wow. in the context of going through a season of depression, mm. the theology of suffering in Scripture. Mm. You know, there's mm. so much. To be learned, and and I mm. knew that in a in a completely different way because I was touching and feeling yes. an actual grapevine, yeah, sure, and enacting the pruning of the grapevine, and not just kind of assenting to that. Yes, this is something that happens mm. uh, intellectually, mm-hmm. but experiencing it in, mm-hmm. in a physical way. That's that's the thing that I, I that fires me up. Yeah, man, it's really so analogous to that would be the. Um, the seasonal cycles of trees, mm-hmm. um, but um, trees that you know lose their leaves, like in the winter. Yeah, so try, let's try and imagine ourselves to a time in a culture where that is an annual narrative being played out for mm-hmm. you about the cycles of death and rebirth, mm-hmm. um, and that has so informed uh, again the imagination of the biblical story. So uh, Psalm one which describes the ideal human life, a new human, a new Adam, as a tree Mm -hmm. um, that never drops its leaves and has perpetual fruit. And uh, for a long time, you're just like, oh, cool, someone, you know, trees are, you know, people are like trees. But really to think about a tree with new leaves in the spring, my neighbor's tree is this massive thing and it shields us from the sunrise, and so there's this few weeks every spring when I sit on my front porch, it begins, the sun gets more and more obscured, but then becomes green, mm-hmm. as the right when the, mm-hmm. uh, the leaves are the new. Buds, yeah. Oh, so cool. And it, now I, I feel like I'm beginning to see the sense, it's like resurrection. Oh, yeah. And eternal life uh-huh. imaged uh, yeah. in my, my neighbor's tree. And, and it does, it makes you, and maybe this is also part of entering middle age, mm-hmm. where you're very much seeing how the, hard, the hardware is failing. and I'm like, losing my leaves. Yeah, to- yes. yes. Uh-huh. And you, that longing mm-hmm. for like, man, this, is it possible that there's a kind of life that is perpetually green and new with a new fruit to offer every day? Psalm 1. Hmm. 
Like, what if that were true? Um, and that image is the, one of the main vehicles of, of the Bible story to tell us, like, that um, it, it, it is possible. Um, on, on my worst days, I'm not sure that I believe that it is, but on my better days, I trust mm-hmm. and hope that yeah. that really is true and real and that it's a connection to God's own eternal yeah. life, yeah. The, the, the unending tree of life. Martin Luther said, uh, uh, our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every, every leaf in springtime. Oh, yeah, man, that's right. Which to that's me, good. I read that and I'm like, yeah, this was a guy who paid attention <laughs> to the cycles. That, yes. And, and I yeah. always think of it as, you know, the, at least in our hemisphere, mm. you know, there are parts of the world that don't experience the seasons like that's that. That's right. That's right. Um, but yeah. for us, we get this little bonus, you know, yeah. Yeah. that, that, the seasons preach a sermon about resurrection every mm. year mm-hmm. and the flowers do it. And, and, uh, mm. and so, yeah, like paying attention. I think that's what I would, I would say yeah. both to scripture, both to yes. what the scripture is yeah. showing us, demonstrating, but yeah. also the book of nature, you know, that'll, that, mm-hmm. there's the, the, there are two books of revelation, the book yeah, of scripture yeah. and the book of nature. Yes. And so to, to pay attention to both, not, you know, they come at us in different ways, mm-hmm. um, but uh, mm. yeah, it's it's so crucial. Mm. Man, I could ask you a thousand more questions. I'm trying to decide. <laughs> I don't know what time it is, so I don't know if yeah, I don't know either. Time. Does anybody know how long we've gone? Uh, you're at 44. Hey, that's about right. All right, cool. Um, let me close with this. Yeah. I I have I'm trying to decide the best way to do it. I was going to read part of Isaiah 55 mm-hmm. because it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it might be a good way to just kind of wrap this thing up. Yeah, whatever you um, want to do. Thank you for doing this. Oh, yeah. I'm so yeah. grateful. Yeah. I could seriously geek out about this stuff all day me, long. Me too. And I will say that, like, I, <laughs> I, as a, you know, pastor's kid who, you know, so many good things. I'm so thankful to have grown mm-hmm. up in the church and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, like, I just, I'm so thankful that um, hearing you talk about Scripture helps me to love Scripture more. Mm-hmm. And it's a mm-hmm. gift that you, you mm-hmm. have given and I'm really grateful for it. Hmm. Um, and so speaking of scripture, I have a song that I wrote <clears throat> a few years ago called The Sower's Song. Hmm. And the back half of it is taken from Isaiah 55. Hmm. Hmm. I don't have a piano, so I'm not going to like sit here and sing it. <laughs> I'm not going to serenade you with it. But I thought I would kind of wrap things up by reading Isaiah 55. Yeah. Because, yes. uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. Do you have any thoughts on Isaiah 55? Oh, it's so awesome. <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe yeah. this. We're, we're yeah. winging this. But yeah, if sure. you'll give us a little... Like closing thought, yeah, through the lens of Isaiah fifty-five, and then I'll read it, and we'll be done. Okay. Well, um, Isaiah fifty-five comes at this key juncture in the plot line of the book, as it were, where um, uh, Israel is being given this offer to come back from Babylon and uh, inhabit uh, the the land after all its years of failure and being unfaithful to God. And in those chapters of Isaiah around it, the, the new land is described in literally as the new Garden of Eden, like with the actual language of the Garden of Eden. And so um, the whole question is whether Israel is going to trust God's word that he can create a new Eden out of the desolation of exile in Babylon. And so it's a whole chapter about the word of God, which is modeling off of Genesis 1. That God's word could bring a garden out of dark nothingness. And now here again, God's word is the ability to bring water and rain and snow 
to cause trees to grow where there was only desolation. Ah. And it's, it's, uh, but the whole point is it's not just something God did once in the past. Mm-hmm. It's, some, it's a way God relates to us, and every one of us has our own Eden loss yep. and uh, possibility of a rediscovery of Eden that comes from the Word of God. It's a rad chapter, man. Oh, <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyhow, that's Isaiah it's beautiful. 55. Because, yeah, it, yeah, I just love the fact that it works on so many levels because mm. while you're describing that, I'm thinking, mm. like, you know, they're a big part of this new book. It's like it's digging into some dark seasons in my own mm. life and I get, where I can see that mm. the Lord was redeeming, doing what you're describing. Yes. But it also casts this vision forward to yeah. what's coming to us, yeah. you know? Yeah. I've yeah. always read Isaiah 55 as because mm. I don't know. Yeah. You know, the, the context as, yeah, as well yeah, as you yeah. do, as this is this glimpse of the new creation, hmm. of, of the work hmm. that God is doing yeah, yeah. Um, and what is coming to us. And I yeah. just, I long for it. Yeah, me too, man. Deeply. Me yeah. too. You and me both. So Isaiah 55, 10 through 13. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower hmm. and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Mm. This is the word of the Lord. Mm. Thanks be to God. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com and to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. If you're wondering what in the world a Hutchmood is, you are not alone. Let me give you the short version. Hutchmood is an annual arts conference hosted by The Rabbit Room in which we gather people together around art, music, story, and faith. If you want the long version, check out the website at hutchmoot.com where all of your questions, or at least some of them, will be answered.